Oh, Sean, are you weary from wave upon wave of grief and affliction whom no man can save? Has sickness surrounded or unending night? Uncertainty stolen your joy and your might. Doubting, oh, fearful, remember his care. The helpless and hopeless need never despair. For from your affliction his glory shall spring. The deeper your sorrow, the louder you'll sing. Remember your Father, his promise, his love. I'll never forsake you, this pain will not break you, for I will remake you for unending joy. My promise is faithful, though now it is painful. No power can trample my covenant love. Remember your Savior, his grief and his pain, the lonely affliction, unmerited shame. Though you have betrayed him, he died in your place. The joy set before him, he offers by grace. Remember your father, his promise, his love. I'll never forsake you, this pain will not break you, for I will remake you for unending joy. My promise is faithful, though now it is painful. No power can trample my covenant love. I'll never forsake you, this pain will not break you, for I will remake you for unending joy. My promise is faithful, though now it is painful. No power can trample my covenant love. Remember your Father, His promise, His Thank you, Harneys. Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 in your Bibles this morning. It's good to be together as believers. The term church in the Bible means called out assembly of born again believers. And that's what we have this morning. Many, many people here who have received the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, and we've chosen to assemble ourselves in obedience to God's command to worship Him. And, and this is the local church. That's what it is. It's not the building. It's not the address. It's not a nonprofit 501c3. It's you and me who have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, chosen by God, paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, and sealed by the Holy Spirit. And we're going to look at that this morning in the time that we have. Thank you for that song. 
no matter what you're going through, no matter where you may be. Uh, truth is, if you've been saved, and maybe some of you recently have trusted Christ as your personal Savior, uh, there's a major war that's taking place, and I imagine you're well aware of that. And uh, it's a spiritual battle between good and evil, the power of Satan and his demonic forces and the power of God. And I want you to know that God will prevail in your life. And uh, if you want to experience and enjoy the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ in this lifetime, it's very, very important that you uh, seek out the word of God, what it says, uh, Gather regularly with the body of Christ, the local church, hear the word of God and obey it and say yes to the Holy Spirit of God and you will experience uh, the salvation of God in this lifetime. Ephesians chapter 1 in your Bibles is where we're at. We've been studying this for a few weeks now and really our hearts have been drawn out to praise and to worship the Lord, to praise and worship God Almighty because we've been considering the riches that we have in Jesus Christ. Um, uh, The doctrine of election is taught, and the fact that God chose us, and we are a part of the elect. Uh, That is, those who have received Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. And then uh, we studied last week uh, about the reality that Jesus Christ, that we have been forgiven of our sins because Jesus Christ died for us, In our place. And uh, the word redemption is found. And the doctrine of redemption is taught in this passage. And we've been redeemed, bought back from the bondage and slavery to sin. By the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Look look back with me if you would. uh, uh, Verse number 3 in chapter 1. I just want to walk through some of these things briefly before we get to our passage this morning. In verse number 3 we're reminded... Uh, that God chose us before time began. It says in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Not only did he choose us, choose to save us, knowing who would believe upon Jesus Christ, not only did he choose to save us, But he's also chosen that you and I be holy. He's chosen that you and I live holy lives that are pleasing to him. Notice in verse number four, the middle part, it says that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. In love, God chose us that we would be holy and blameless in this lifetime. Uh, He's also chosen to make us accepted. It says in Verse number four or verse number five and following, uh, he's chosen to make us accepted. Verse five, it says this, having predestinated us under the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. It pleased God to save us. It pleases God to adopt an individual. Verse number six, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. And what a, what a wonderful, marvelous truth. If, if today's your first time with us, or maybe you have been out of town for a couple of weeks, I'd encourage you, I don't often do this, but I'd encourage you to go back, go to our website, and the sermon that I preached on these verses is there. And, and uh, sometimes we get a little skittish when we hear the words chosen or uh, predestinated, and automatically 
uh, anything that has anything to do with predestination or chosen or election must be Calvinistic or new Calvinism or old Calvinism or anything Calvinism. And I want you to know, these these words existed a long time before John Calvin ever uh, lived on the face of the earth, okay? So they're not Calvinistic terms, and if you want to know more about those, and you weren't here, you need to go back and listen to that sermon on those verses. Now, last week we saw that God is worthy of our praise, not only because he's chosen us, uh, chosen to save us, and chose us, chosen that we'd be holy and blameless, not only because he's adopted us, but he's worthy of our praise because he's forgiven our sins. He's forgiven our sins. And I hope that illustration that I gave sticks out in your minds about uh, how God has, ta- or Jesus Christ has taken away our sins. He's taken them away. If you're a born-again child of God, you, you say, Seth, I still sin. Yes, that's true. Uh, you and I still have this old flesh, this old man, the Bible calls on. And to enter heaven's gates, it's going to, we're going to have to be, this old flesh has to perish. Um, but but uh, while we still sin, we have forgiveness with God. And if you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior... Jesus Christ has taken away your sins. And the Bible says our sins have been removed from us as far as the east is from the west. There we go. I'll point the right direction. As far as the east is from the west. And you can't get any further away, can you? East and west. It just keeps going. He's buried those sins in the depths of the deepest sea. And God has said in his word that he has chosen to remember those sins no more. In other words, God has chosen not to hold your sin against you. Because you've been forgiven, you're in Christ. He's taken away your sins. Notice in verse number 7, it tells us that Jesus Christ bought us back from slavery to sin. In verse 7 he says this, in whom we have redemption, that word means to purchase and set free by paying a price. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. God is rich in grace. And we are gathered here together and part of the reason we sing these hymns and we do so with such gusto and enthusiasm and praise to God is we can sing songs about the grace of God Because we have experienced that. He's forgiven me. I don't deserve forgiveness. But he has forgiven me. A holy God has forgiven sinful man, but it cost him so much. It cost him Jesus Christ and his blood. Only uh, without without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption of sin. In verse 7, the latter part, down through verse number 9, we're, we're shown the uh, wondrous will of God. Notice in the end of verse number 7, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, talking about the word of God, having made known unto us, through his word is the idea, the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. Of course, that mystery is that all who believe upon the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. Both Jew and Gentile, both Jew and Gentile, all in one, in Christ. And he's united us in Christ, in verse 10, that in the dispensation, that's a a period of time, of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. And then in verses 11 and 12, we saw that 
that God has made us to save, or excuse me, to honor Jesus Christ. Verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. What have we obtained? Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. That is, God does what he sets out to do. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ. And over and over again in this passage, three times to be specific, God says it is to the praise of the glory of God. What? That, we, that he has chosen us. He's chosen to save us. That's to the praise of his glory. Uh, in John 15, Jesus told his disciples, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that ye should go forth and bring forth fruit. God chose us. He chose us. And it was all his plan. He knew mankind would sin, and still he chose before the foundation of the world that he would send his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to buy back sinful man. And so he is worthy of our praise. And he is worthy of us glorifying him because he's chosen us. And then he's worthy of our praise and, and, and of, our, of our glory. He's worthy of that because we've been forgiven. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world. He died for us. And he's worthy of our praise. He's worthy. It shouldn't be a hard thing for you and for me to to get up on a Sunday morning and to come to gather with fellow believers, fellow people who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, when I look around this room, that's what I see. David, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Clem, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? I can look all around this room, and and this room is full of people who have been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Me, purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so it shouldn't be a hard thing for us to gather together, even though sometimes our flesh doesn't feel like it, to gather with fellow believers who have been purchased and saved and forgiven their sins, taken away just like mine, and sing praises and and glorify God and worship Him. He's worthy of that. There's a wonderful truth I want to notice this morning in the time that we have. It begins really in verses 13 and 14. Look there with me and I'll read it. It says in verse 13, In whom ye also trusted, that is in Christ, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. And then he says it a third time, unto the praise of his glory. God is worthy of our praise this morning, I want to notice, because he has sealed us by his Holy Spirit. In other words, I could say this, your salvation, if you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, is absolutely certain. It's all done. It's paid for. You've been chosen by God. He's chosen to save you. And to show you and to prove to you within your heart that you are a born-again child of God, He has given you something. And He lives within you. It's the third person of the Trinity. God Himself. Christ's Spirit living within us, and we call him the Holy Spirit. A guarantee from God to us that the salvation that he has begun, he will finish. And there is nobody who can take it away. And there is no way that you can lose it. Let's pray together.
Dear Heavenly Father, we gather together this morning to worship you and to praise your name. Thank you for your word giving us truth. Father, thank you for the blessings that you have bestowed upon us in such abundance through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for your salvation and giving it to us and making it ours. Lord, I pray that you would honor your word this morning in our hearts. May we understand these truths and may our hearts rejoice in them, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Have you ever received Jesus Christ? Have you ever received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Many of us in this room have. There might be some in this room and you would say, Seth, I never have received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Some in this room would say, Pastor Ferguson, I've grown up in church, but that's not what I asked. Or you might say, well, Pastor Ferguson, I'm a very generous person, and I like to help other people, and that's very honorable. Um, And we could use more people like you in the world today, but that's not what I asked. I asked, have you ever received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? And if you have, do you know, do you have assurance that you are saved? When I was a young boy, I received Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. I was raised uh, most of my life in Trinity Baptist Church. Many of you might not have known that. My parents moved here when I was eight. And I kind of grew up here, running around in the halls and, and jumping up and putting my handprints on the the uh, door frames, you know, and those sort of things. And some of you told me to stop. Okay, so some of you remember me at that age. But, but I grew up here, and I grew up under Bible preaching and teaching. Um, I watched some of your lives. Um, I grew up in a home where the Bible is a part of our, our family, our lives. And often my, my dad would, and my mom would gather us together and we would do family devotions. Sometimes we'd memorize a short psalm together. Sometimes uh, dad would read from a character sketch and then he would read from the Bible and we would think about biblical things. So I was saved when I was five. But for much of my life, especially as maybe a junior higher on through my high school years and even into my college years, I really struggled with knowing whether or not I was saved. Um, I always thought that that was just for young people. And I always thought that older people never struggled with that and that people who were older, which would be most of you in this room now, some of you are younger than me, uh, but at that point in my life, I always thought older people, when I get older, I won't struggle with this at all. I can remember as a young boy uh, receiving Christ, but then about the time I was junior high, I began to doubt it. And so I began to pray regularly, God, if I, if I didn't mean it before, would you save me now? Or a, a pastor or an evangelist would preach, and I would feel guilty in some particular way, and so I would pray again, God, would you save me now? Or maybe there would be a certain sin that I was struggling with, and I would think no Christian should struggle with a sin like this, and so I must not be saved, and so I would pray again. And from the time I was in junior high to the time I was in college, probably about a junior, about 20, 21 years of age, I literally prayed probably thousands of times that God would save me. I prayed over and over and over and over again, and I really struggled with knowing whether I was saved or not. 
In 1 John, John wrote to those believers and he made it very clear that God wants you to know that you are saved. And I quickly found out that just repeating a prayer didn't give assurance. And you know, God wants you to know that you're a born-again child of God. He wants you to know that you're saved. And he wants you to know that you're secure in Christ. He wants you to know and be assured that what you've committed unto the Lord, that is the salvation of your soul for all of eternity, that he is worthy and able and that he will do what he said he would do and save your soul from death and hell for all of eternity. And in this passage, this can help with this in your life. Now, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then you need to be born again. You need to receive Jesus Christ. You need to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Don't depend on yourself to save yourself because you don't have the wherewithal to save your soul from hell. Only God can save you. And if you will receive Christ, he will choose to save you. He will choose to forgive you. But I want to notice this morning that God is worthy of our praise because he has made our salvation secure forever. Notice again in verse 13, In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, that's our physical bodies, unto the praise of his glory. You know, the Holy Spirit of God, if, you're, if you've received Christ as your personal Savior, he lives within you. Jesus Christ told Nicodemus, a Pharisee, on a rooftop at night, in John chapter 3, ye must be born again. And Nicodemus balked at that, and he said, how can a grown man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? I can't do it. Uh, you've got to give me something else. And, uh, and Nicodemus wasn't understanding. It wasn't that uh, uh, Nicodemus had to go back and be reborn physically, but he had to be born spiritually of the Holy Spirit. He had to be saved that way, and the Holy Spirit had been working in the lives of these Ephesian believers, and they knew it. And if you've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God lives within you, and He teaches you. He helps you understand the Word of God. He leads you. He guides us, we who are saved. Sometimes He convicts us. You ever ever sense that? You ever know the convicting work of the power of the Spirit of God in your life? It's not just a conscience. There's a difference between a conscience and the Holy Spirit. They can work together in tandem. But a believer who's being tempted to sin, the Holy Spirit of God will help us overcome that. He'll convict us if we are falling into sin. Now, the Holy Spirit of God within us, he encourages us. He comforts us. And even the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit prays for us. The Holy Spirit is kind. He's likened unto a dove in the Bible. He's kind. He's gracious. He's holy. The Bible likens the Holy Spirit to a fire. Uh, In other words, a fire can give light. A fire can give power. The Bible tells us us that we can 
We can uh, grieve the Holy Spirit. We can literally make him weep is the idea. We can hurt him. And the Bible tells us that we can quench him. Literally, we can extinguish. And I've given the illustration before of a bucket of water on a fire, maybe a campfire, and you want to extinguish it. Take the hose and, and, and just run water on it. And you can extinguish that which gave off heat and light and warmth. Uh, you and I, through sin in our lives and saying no to him, can hurt him. We can literally extinguish his influence in our lives. He's holy, though, and he's faithful. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. And, and God is worthy of our praise because he has made our salvation secure by the Holy Spirit forever. Uh, two truths this morning and we'll be done. First of all, God has sealed our salvation by the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit of God. Notice again verse number 13, and we've read it two times already. Let's read it a third time. In whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. In whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed. Notice, after you believed. After you believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it says ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Beginning part of verse 13 here in Ephesians chapter 1 really describes for us the entire process of salvation in two simple parts. The first part is that in order to be saved, a person must first hear the word of truth. You see it there in verse 13. Ye trusted after that ye heard the word of truth. Um, Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Nobody has ever been saved outside of hearing the truth of the word of God in some way, shape, or form. It might not have been in a sermon. It probably doesn't have to be in a church building. Uh, It might have been the word of God preached through the life of a co-worker. Holiness, righteousness, godliness that brought conviction to our hearts. It may have been watching a believer from afar and seeing there's something different in their lives and you saw Christ in them, but at some point someone had to tell you the truth of the word of God, the the work of the gospel, what Jesus Christ had done. So in order for a person to be saved, a person first needs to hear the word of truth. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3 says, "For Paul says to the church at Corinth, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul tells the church at Corinth, you believed upon Jesus Christ. You're saved today because there was a time when I told you that Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried, and that he rose again the third day. And without that message of the gospel, a person cannot be saved. Secondly, I notice in these first, just the first part of verse number 13, the, the second part of the, the salvation experience of every person is that having heard the word of truth, a person then chooses to believe that Jesus Christ can and will save them. Look again in verse 13. He says, you trusted Uh, in whom ye also trusted, that's our part, believing upon Christ, after that ye heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed. So there's this necessity on the part of every individual to believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. You see, the Bible produces God-pleasing faith, saving faith in the lives of the hearers. And the Ephesian believers had heard the gospel, and they had understood that it was for them. In verse 13, the middle part, it says, your salvation. They understood it was for them. You know, there are many people who don't believe that the salvation of God is for them. There are many people who don't believe that Jesus that his death, his burial, and his resurrection is for them. They say, you know, that's nice for you, but I don't really need that. I don't, I don't need his Jesus work. That's a nice religion. If, if you'd like to believe it, that's fine, but I don't need it. There are many people who, who don't believe that they need what Jesus Christ has done and what he provides. When some of these Ephesian people trusted in Christ, though, his death, his burial, and resurrection... Every one of them who believed upon Christ for salvation was sealed by the Holy Spirit, and Paul wanted them to know this. Now, this is a truth that they didn't know. They weren't aware of this. And maybe it's a truth this morning that you're not, you're, you haven't been aware of. The moment that you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Holy Spirit of God came to live within you. And the Bible says that he sealed you unto the day of redemption. Now, we're going to talk about that this morning. Have you ever believed upon Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sin? Again, I ask you that question. Have you ever believed upon Jesus Christ alone to save you from your sin? And if you have, you need to know that the Holy Spirit of God lives within you. Now, what is the significance, though, of this idea of the sealing of the Holy Spirit? Well, there are several parts to this, and I want to give them to you quickly. Number one, it speaks of a finished transaction. The sealing of the Spirit of God indicates that the transaction, your forgiveness, God's choosing you, you receiving the salvation of God, it is a done deal. It's done. It's finished. You've been sealed. It, It signifies a finished transaction. Even today, important documents, like maybe your your living will, or your last will and testament, maybe you've had it notarized, right? It's sealed. Uh, When you or I physically die, uh, those survivors will take that living will, or or that that last will and testament, and they'll present it to the lawyers, and he'll look to see if it's been notarized. And if it has been, it's as good as done. And and that's this idea of the word sealed. It it speaks of a finished transaction. Secondly, it implies ownership. It implies ownership. To be sealed by the Spirit of God implies that God owns you. He's responsible for you. You know, when you own something, you're responsible for it. Right? Um, It's yours. You own it. Even when it breaks, you own it. Uh, it's always nice to own. We always love owning things, right? We like to own things. And, and many of us, it's this natural tendency and urge to own more things. And recently I was looking at a piece of equipment and, and uh, really there are several things that need to be done around the house and property. And so I was thinking, I don't want to buy this and that and that. 
and they had this kind of a multi-tool thing that's a possibility. I've just been looking at it and, and asking questions about it, and, and really, I didn't want three of them, because then I have to take care of three of them. I'm responsible for them. I own them. And, and, and then if I forget to do it, it doesn't start up in the spring. You know what I'm saying? You've been there pulling on your weed whacker, and you forgot to winterize it, and ethanol has found its way into every crevice of your carburetor, right? It's all gummed up. It doesn't work. You own it, though. It's yours. Well, this word sealed has the idea of, in, of ownership. God has purchased you by the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, Paul asked this question to the church at Corinth. He said, what? <laughs> know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Now, now I'm going to read that again because that's an amazing question. He says, what? Know ye not that your body, your physical body, is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? And I could ask you that same question this morning. Do you know that the Holy, that your physical body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit? Do you know that? You say, well, I haven't been saved very long, Pastor Ferguson. It doesn't matter. If, you, if there's ever been a time in your life where you believed by faith that Jesus Christ alone could save you from your sin and from death and hell to come, and you believed upon Him to save you from your sin, that very moment you were born again of the Holy Spirit of God, and the Holy Spirit, God Himself, took, residence, took up residence in your physical body. And your physical body and my physical body is the dwelling place, the temple of the Holy Spirit of God. And then he goes on to say this. And he says, this Holy Spirit living within you, he says, ye have of God. And he says, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You say, well, um, so you're telling me I own my weed whacker, but you're telling me I don't own myself? That's right. You've really never owned yourself. You see, before you were saved, sin owned you. Before I was saved, sin owned me. I did its will. I, I thought I was in charge, but really, it owned me, and I did its will. But when Jesus Christ, by his blood, died for me 2,000 years ago, and 33 years ago, when Seth Ferguson believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, what he had done for me over 2,000, about 2,000 years ago, and that he died for me, and that in him I died, my sinful flesh died, and that I was buried with him, and that in him I was raised from the dead to walk in newness of life. When I, as a five-year-old boy, not understanding all of those truths that I, even I just mentioned, but I believed upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that very day, God, by Jesus Christ and his blood, bought me back off the slave block of sin. No longer to serve sin, but to serve him. And so Paul tells the church at Corinth, he says, What, don't you understand that the Holy Spirit of God lives within you? And you are not your own because you've been bought by, with a price, by a price, with the, the blood of Jesus Christ. And so glorify God in your body. Say yes to the Holy Spirit. And by the way, this is a wonderful truth. 
this sealing, this idea of sealing has the idea of ownership. So when I leave this place, and we, when we leave and, and we all go home to eat or go out to eat or we're going through our week this week and things are going good or they're not going good or maybe temptation creeps into our lives and maybe we're prone to going back to serving sin that we've been saved from, we can know this truth that I don't belong to, I don't own myself and I don't, I'm not owned by sin. That, the, that, that I belong to God. And the proof of that is the Holy Spirit of God is living within me. And greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You see, this ceiling has the idea of ownership. God will take care of me. It also has the idea of security and protection. Security and protection, thirdly. Security and protection. You see, the believer is safe. You're safe. You're protected because you belong to God. In John chapter 14 and verse 16, Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Doesn't sound to me like you can lose that. Even the Spirit of truth, talking about the Holy Spirit, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. You see, the Holy Spirit of God, when you receive Christ, he came to indwell you, he seals you, there's security and protection with him living within you, and he will never leave you, nor forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13 speaks of this. In verse number 5, it says, let your conversation, your manner of life, your daily living, let your conversation be without covetousness. I thought of that verse as uh, Diana and, and Josh were singing that song. And they talked about hardship and trials. And, and I thought of some of you in this room. And I thought sometimes hearing things like that, they rejoice our hearts and they give us hope. And sometimes... If we're operating in our flesh, you know what, those things can sour us a little bit. And we can think about all the trials and troubles we've been through and, and kind of resent God a little bit. And I thought of this verse, let your manner of life be without covetousness. Sometimes covetousness is looking out to the parking lot and seeing a beautiful Buick. Well, some people it's a Buick, Cadillac, whatever. You look out there and you think, wow, that's, that's beautiful. And sometimes we covet after things or stuff. Sometimes in my life, and maybe your life as well, we found ourselves coveting after something that's e easier. A path through life that's not as hard. Have you ever found yourself coveting after something you don't have? That's kind of a hard truth to think about. He says, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content, satisfied with such things as ye have. Why? For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. My satisfaction and my contentment should come from this truth that we're talking about, the sealing of the Spirit of God, that because God is with me, I have everything I need. We don't 
we don't often, I don't think, live in light of this truth. God is with me. He's living within me by his Holy Spirit. And so I can be content with what I have in God, in Christ, in his indwelling, in his power, in his protection, in his sealing. And I don't need what I think I need because I have everything that God wants me to have. Such an important truth. So this sealing speaks of a finished transaction. It speaks of ownership. It speaks of security and protection. And then it also speaks, it's a mark of authenticity. Just like a signature. Uh, If you receive a letter and it's got a signature at the bottom, the letter proves that it's authentic. I mean, the signature proves that it's authentic. And so too does the presence of the Holy Spirit of God prove that the believer is genuine. In in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, uh, John wrote, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. How do you know that you're in God and that he is in you? How do you know that you're in Christ? Because greater is he that is in you. That's the Spirit of God. And his indwelling, his power in your life, it's proof that you have been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. See, God is worthy of our praise because he's made our salvation secure forever. God has sealed our salvation by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, first of all. And then secondly, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is God's guarantee to you that he will complete his saving work in your life. The presence of the Holy Spirit of God in your life is God's guarantee to you and me that he is going to complete what he started in your life, his salvation. Notice in verse number 14, notice there's going to be a really fascinating word here. It's the word earnest, verse 14 which is the earnest, that is the Holy Spirit of promise that you're sealed with at the end of verse 13, is the earnest, the beginning of verse 14, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. That's something that hasn't happened in your life yet because you're sitting here and you're still breathing oxygen unto the praise of his glory. He says all of this, the sealing work of the Spirit of God is to the praise of his glory. Okay, so the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is God's guarantee that he will complete his saving work in your life. Earnest, really, it's a fascinating word. In Paul's day, it meant the down payment to guarantee the final purchase of some sort of commodity or a piece of property, something you could buy. And the Holy Spirit is the first installment on the part of God for your soul to guarantee to his children that he will finish his work and someday bring you and I to glory for all of eternity. Redemption. It's found in verse 14, the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption. Uh, Redemption is experienced in three stages. We have been redeemed through faith in Jesus Christ. Notice back to verse number 7 in chapter 1. It says, in whom we have redemption through his blood. We've already been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, so that's the first stage. We have been redeemed. We've already been bought back by Jesus Christ. 
And then also I noticed, though, redemption, the second stage, is that we are being redeemed as the Spirit of God works in our lives to make us more like Christ. Um, look back to Romans chapter 8. Would you hold your place in Ephesians? Turn back to Romans chapter 8. It's not far. Go left in your Bibles. You'll get there. Romans chapter 8. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Romans chapter 8. And notice that we are being redeemed as the Spirit of God works in our lives to make us more like Christ. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse number 1. I'll read down through verse number 4. It says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now there are two competing laws in verse 2. There's the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's a greater law than, or or a more powerful law than the law of sin and death. I've I've used as an illustration for this verse in the past the uh, two competing laws, the law of hot air rising And the law of gravity, which one is more powerful? Well, if you and I were to take a hot air balloon ride together, I imagine you'd stay in the basket with me because you believe the law of hot air rising is more powerful than the law of gravity. Uh, So too is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, he who lives within you, more powerful than... It's made me free, he actually says in verse 2, from the law of sin and death. Verse 3, for what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. How? Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see, when I say yes to the Holy Spirit of God in my life, I can overcome any sin and any temptation in this life. But when I say no to the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, the spirit of God who lives within me, and I say yes to the flesh, I'll fall every time. And so will you. But you know, the redemption, the buying back, this purchasing, this victory of our flesh over sin, even in this lifetime, is something that's actually in the process of happening And it's by, as Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4 talk about, it's actually happening on a daily basis. There's a third truth about this idea of redemption, and that is uh, we shall be redeemed when Christ returns and we become like him. So we have been redeemed through faith in Christ Jesus. We are being redeemed as the Spirit of God works in our lives to make us more like Christ And then we shall be redeemed when Christ returns and we become like him. The redemption of the purchased possession is how we call what he calls it in verse 14 of Ephesians chapter 1. The buying back of the purchased possession. It refers to the buying back of our physical bodies at the return of Jesus Christ. Now you're still in Romans chapter 8. Look with me, if you would, to verse 22. Verse 22. I'm going to read down through verse 23. He says this, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. 
In other words, this world in which we live, the whole creation, there's this strain that's been caused by between the, the sinfulness that's found its way into the world and the righteousness of God. And there it, it groaneth, it says, and travaileth in pain together until now. Verse 23. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting, longing for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. I think if you've been saved for any length of time at all, you understand that verse. And here's what it's talking about. There is a battle within your physical body, if you're a born-again child of God, between the old man, the flesh... Uh, that's been defiled by sin and the Holy Spirit of God who took up residence in your life the very moment you believed upon Jesus Christ. And I love the words that are there in verses 22 and 23. Groaning, travailing is a birthing term. And I can remember what that was like from a husband's perspective. Cindy right now is thinking, what is he going to say? And I'm thinking, what will she say? So I'm not going to say. But I'll say this. It was a trying experience. Difficult. With Ian over two hours of hard labor. I'm going to stop. And, and, and that term is used in the context of the battle that goes on within our bodies on this earth. And by the way, that's why you and I need to encourage one another and pray for one another. Because there's a spiritual battle raging within, our, within our, each one of us as individuals. And that's why on a regular basis, on a daily basis, throughout the day, whether I'm in the office or I'm out of the office, my mind goes to you. And I think of you because I realize that there's this travailing and there's this groaning that's taking place. There's a redemption of those physical bodies, of every one of our physical bodies. And there's a battle between the spirit and the flesh. The Bible says they war one against the other. Paul says, the things that I would do, I don't do. The things that I don't do, I should do. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the bondage of this death? There's a battle, there's a struggle. So, the presence of the Holy Spirit of God guarantees that God will complete His saving work, the redemption. It's going to be finished. And the Holy Spirit's living within us. He's the one who's going to make it happen. It's going to happen. Uh, This term, though, um, for earnest, though, it's not just some sort of a sterile uh, business-like term. The Greeks used to use this word earnest in connection with an engagement ring. And uh, I was in college when, when I met Cindy, and I was still in college when I asked her to marry me. And of course, when you ask a woman to marry you, you're supposed to give her an engagement ring. And I was going through college, and as a college student, I didn't have a lot of extra cash floating around, you know, not a lot of business ventures going on. I was pay the bills, buy the books. You know, work, study, work, study, work, study, pay the bills, buy the books, work, study, and hopefully you pass, right? 
and going through that, uh, and, I, and I met Cindy and fell in love for, with her, and I adored her. Uh, I admired her, and that's grown over the years. I wanted to marry her. I can remember uh, my mother-in-law is here, and I can remember they had come down to Pensacola to visit us, and and uh, Cindy and I had just gone to a few on a few dates together, and but I liked her. And between you and I, uh, just between us, I really believed that she was the one at that point. I've been out a few times. I thought she's the one. In fact, I believed that before I asked her to go on a date. I believed she was the one. Anyway, uh, had she known that, she might not have said yes. Uh, and so the Schmelzers were down, and, and uh, Cindy and Mom had stepped away from the table for some reason, and I looked at her dad, and I said, hey, I'd like to ask you a question about Cindy. And later he would tell me, I thought you were going to ask me if you could marry her, and you'd only been out like three times, you know, and I asked her if I could date. I asked, I asked him if I could date his daughter, and and then we began to date, and after about a year, uh, I asked, I believe I asked, or maybe it was a year and a half, I asked her to marry me. But I remember, I, I thought, oh, I need to buy an engagement ring. And I went and I looked, and all these people were like, come over here <laughs> to my display, you know. I'll sell you something. And, I, and I, I wanted one that was special. I didn't want one just out of the case. I wanted one that was different. Of course, everybody wants that, right? I want, so I, I had one custom made for her. And then I, I was looking at all the diamonds, you know, and I can't even remember, it's been so long, but he had to receive an education in buying a diamond to buy a diamond, right? You know, clarity and the cut and all those sort of things. And, and, and I real, realized very quickly the one that I might have, that she was worth, I couldn't afford. <laughs> okay, so then it came down to the one I could afford for her. And it was the best I could afford. It was everything that I had to buy for her. She was so valuable to me. And this word earnest has that idea. It's not just a business-like term that might cover for us the idea of redemption. We have been, we are being, and we will be. It's business. It's going to happen. But it also has the idea of this strong emotion, this endearing love and tenderness. The Holy Spirit of God is the earnest of our inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when God gave him to you, and he gave him to me, and he promised him by the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples, and when he was given to us the day that we believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, God gives him to us with great affection and great love, knowing that we need him, and knowing what he will accomplish in our lives. And it is by him that we are sealed He is the earnest. He is the down payment. He is the guarantee that what God has begun in us, he will do. And there is nothing, there is nobody who can stop it. It really is a beautiful truth. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And there's coming a day when Christ is coming for his bride. Jesus promised that to his disciples in John 14, and in some confusion they heard these words. He said, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. 
uh, Paul to, to the Romans there, the church there in Rome, he, he talked to them about this idea of who can separate you from the love of God. And he asked that question in Romans chapter 8 and verse 35. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, shall distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? Then in verse 37 he says, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is actually the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Alive, all-powerful, faithful who will never leave you nor forsake you. And he lives within you. And it is a wonderful salvation. It is a wonderful salvation to teach your children about this God who loves you so much that he has chosen you. And he has sent his son to buy you back by his own blood, forgive you, take away your sins forever. And it is a wonderful thing to teach your children and tell your neighbors and tell your neighborhood and tell your coworkers that God, by his spirit, has guaranteed, not on our works, not by what we can do, but by who God is, that our salvation, his salvation, is secure forever. You see, true riches come from God. And all of these riches come by God's grace and for God's glory. And these riches are only the beginning. The riches that we have in Christ are eternal. They will never fade away. These riches were planned by God. They were purchased by Christ. They were presented. They are presented by the Holy Spirit. And they are more valuable than anything that you or I own. They are awesome. They are awesome. I want you to take your Bibles, or excuse me, your hymnals, if you would, and turn to hymn number 303, 303. Before we sing this song, which is about the glory to his name, and I want, I want to encourage you, if you're a born-again child of God, I want you to sing with gusto, okay? That means sing with all your heart as unto the Lord, okay? You might not be able to sing, but nobody will tell, except for the people in front of you and behind you and beside you. But you sing it out as unto the Lord if you believe the truths we've heard this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You may be religious. I may look at you and think you're a wonderful person, and you may be a wonderful person. But if you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, can I encourage you, can I invite you this morning to believe, to put your trust and your confidence in Jesus Christ alone. Believe upon him. Believe upon him. And God will choose to save you. And the blood of Christ will carry your sins away. And the Spirit of God will take up residence in your life. And from within, he will ensure the salvation of your soul. Believe upon him. You can talk to me afterward. You can pray right now in the quietness of this moment in your heart. Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me from my sin. I trust you to, I trust you to save me. And he will. Let's all stand to our feet.